This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Nick Adams, managing partner and co-founder of Differential Ventures. And today we're going to talk about pitch events during the Corona time virus. Uh, during the coronavirus time, I'm sorry, <laughs> how they shifted from being in person to online, how much sense does it make to attend those, and what should founders do during the coronavirus outbreak. So, Nick, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and on differential ventures. Yeah, thanks, Constantine. Really, uh, thanks for having me. Good to be, good to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Nick Adams. I, I founded Differential Ventures just about three years ago. Um, we're three partners. Uh, myself, David Magerman, and Mitchell Kleinhandler, um, very focused on seed stage investments, um, mostly across the U.S., uh, pretty heavily slanted towards the, the East Coast. Um, we invest up in, in Canada a fair amount and in Israel, uh, generally focused on uh, enterprise B2B technologies, um, enabling companies to better take advantage of uh, the mass amounts of data that we, we, we're collecting all the time. Uh, so we generally write our first check of around 250 to a million us and we can be a lead investor or or follow another lead investor depending on, on the situation and then personally uh you know i came from a startup background before moving to venture capital um was with a few companies along the way that, that fortunately did pretty well um opened the u.s operations for uh, a company that was was based in finland at the time uh, a company called bassware um started out in sales um moved into sales management did marketing product management um, was with Opower for a while uh, before their IPO, and uh, also uh, launched a natural language processing solution for a company uh, called Rage Frameworks out of out of Boston. So most of my background came out of the the big data and, and early days of, of quote unquote AI and natural language processing. That's impressive. You were right on time, I would say. Now the AI is kind of booming, so it's great. Uh, I will touch on to that topic later on on topic of investing in Israel because that's something that. I can't understand so many of my speakers uh investing investors they many of them invest in israel as well and i just don't understand why why do you all invest in israel is there something i just don't know yeah it's a pretty interesting culture there um given the fact that everybody goes through the military at, at one point in time um most of um the, the founders we we back have a really deep technical expertise, um, which is extremely valuable um, when, when going to market in, in our sector in particular. Um, mm -hmm. And where we like to help them uh, as much as possible is as they kind of productize themselves and, and get ready to, to build the company, helping them come into North America and have a, a safe landing place in, in New York and helpfully open the doors for them in terms of recruiting new talent here opening the doors to uh, potential customers and partners and things like that. Um, so just as a whole, I think it's just a strong um, engineering focused uh, mindset uh, to founders coming out of Israel. Um, it, and it is, you know, it's a the startup nation uh, tagline is, is very true. There are a lot of startups there and it is a uh, small but um, powerful VC community. So we generally look to co-invest with other uh, lead investors who are on the ground there in Israel that can kind of work day by day at the founders and we can be their their US arm as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. I kind of understood that, but still not quite. But we'll, <laughs> we'll move on because Israel is not our primary focus. Our primary focus is, of course, fundraising for US companies. So let's talk about uh, 
current times right now it's the virus it's people are expecting uh, a big uh, decline in the economy damn it (laughs) economy that's how i wanted to say that word (laughs) and so what you expect from what types of investors right now who is actually investing and who is just working with their portfolio companies yeah it's a it's a really good question and and one that i think is is probably going to play out over time um you know it was such an abrupt uh halt to everything uh in march i think we've only really seen you know kind of the the appetizer of of what's to come uh unfortunately um you know certainly the the first step is um you know, everybody kind of triaging their their own startups, their own business, um, and their own portfolios as, as investors. I think we're sort of getting to, you know, a, a fairly stable point with that of at least understanding, um, you know, which startups are, are in trouble, um, either short term uh, or in the medium term, mm-hmm. and then which ones are in a little bit better, better shape. Um, you know, still work to be done. I think there's still a lot of um, open questions around the grant programs and what's going to be done at a, at a government level to help prop up companies um, in the U.S. And, and Canada in particular, where they have a bunch of, of programs as well. Um, what to expect from different types of investors? I think we're, we're definitely going to see um, a contraction uh, in, in the market as a whole. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, will have some some pain uh, for everybody. Um, I'm also somewhat of the belief that we've probably had a little too much money running around in the system as a whole uh, over the last last couple of years. Um, so it's probably not the worst thing in the world, um, but we'll cause some some complications uh, along the way here. So, you know, if we break this out into kind of uh, institutional VCs, you know, funds like ours that are backed by um, other LPs that you know are usually high net worth individuals, institutions, or or fund to funds or family offices, and then second bucket being kind of you know corporate uh, venture investors, and a third bucket being you know more or less private investors, whether it be angel investors uh, or or family offices doing direct deals in the startups. I think. Um, you know, the good thing about VCs, and, and we're, we're certainly not perfect, but the, the good thing is that, you know, for the most part, nobody's, you're not competing for our dollars through any other asset class. You know, we all uh, invest in, in startups. Um, you know, you might have a focus on different types of technology or um, pharmaceuticals or, or um, bio, whatever it may be, but we're all very focused in our areas and we can't um, by, by rule, redeploy our capital to other areas. It's not like we can go start dumping money into, into real estate or right. into the stock market or elsewhere. So it's pretty focused and, and we're pretty accustomed to the long-term, you know, holding period and, and uh, illiquidity, Ill- illiquid nature of startup mm-hmm. investing. So I think, you know, there, there will be some changes, some VCs. I think if you're saying it's business as usual right now, it's kind of mm-hmm. nonsense. Um, it's definitely not. Um, but I don't think it means that, that funds that are, uh, still have money to deploy, um, uh, will completely stop investing. I just think right now everybody's taking a minute to see what's going to happen to valuations and, and startups in the near future. If you were, you know, buying a house at the, 
uh, middle of 2008, <laughs> you know, you would you'd be considered kind of a fool for buying at the, the top of the market. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see some of that um, in, the, in the startup world. So I think, you know, VCs, depending on, on the fund and where they are in their fund lifecycle, will be fairly stable, although probably less active in, in new deals for the next mm -hmm. few months. Right. You know, corporate investors are kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, they, they've uh, tended to pop in and out of, of uh, venture at various stages. Uh, I think we've seen them come earlier than, than we've seen before. Um, I would expect that to change uh, and probably go back to focusing more on strategic later stage investments that can have, um, you know, shorter term uh, upside opportunities, strategic alignment with the rest of their business. Um, which makes sense. I think that's probably where yeah. where they do best, um, and probably best for the companies that they invest in um, at that stage, as opposed to coming in at a at a very early stage. And then uh, finally, is kind of the, the private investors, the angel investors, the, the family offices. I think it's going to be a lot of volatility there. Um, you know, for anybody that was raising actively from angel investors now um, or from family offices right now, um, I would I would expect a lot of volatility from that process um and you know for that that reason i mentioned before of you are competing with lots of different asset classes and, and dollar type uh ways to deploy capital um versus a, a venture fund for example um so if, if people see the opportunity in the capital markets which are you know much more liquid um they're probably gonna go take advantage of, of those those buying opportunities now um or the real estate family office let's say um you know there's a general sentiment that there'll be a lot of uh, uh, appealing buying opportunities in not too distant future, you know, they're probably going to start uh, redeploying capital towards towards those investments as well. So, and the other thing you need to see, well, be interesting to see play out is, um, you know, given that startups have raised so much money from angel investors and, and family offices in the, um, you know, not too distant past, how they will um, act as uh, investors now uh, during these turbulent times um, and whether they'll have kind of the, the stomach for working with companies, putting in more capital to support them um, or if they'll be looking for kind of quicker quicker exits and, and cut their losses. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a very precise answer, I like it. So let's go to the topic of early stage investing. Uh, there was a certain trend of early stage investing. People were trying to get into this. Large funds were deploying more and more scouts to deploy their capital into early stages. What's going on in this field right now? I, th I feel that people are trying to shift away from that. Can you give your perspective on this topic? Yeah, I think it's still a little bit early for me to say confidently, um, but what I'm uh, qualitatively feeling, I think, and, and seeing <laughs> is that, um, you know, the people who, who really love this market and, and understand it, um, you know, are, are still here doing, doing what they do. Um, I do think, you know, the verbiage and the, the stage of, um, seed investing in, in particular will, will loosen up quite a bit. Uh, I think a lot of the funds who have um, either moved uh, further further upstream to seed investing or um, at least uh, put the sentiment into the market that they're moving earlier uh, in the investment cycle. 
um, are, are probably pretty excited to get back to their, their more comfortable levels of, of Series A, Series B. And I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably see a, a good amount of movement um, in, in that direction for the bigger funds who have come early. Um, you know, in terms of the angel investors and, and just kind of the overall um, appeal of, of venture in the market, I, I think it's really been overhyped in the last few years. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I sort of, I, I blame Shark Tank in, in a lot of ways <laughs> of making it seem really uh, appealing and, and sexy to be an, an entrepreneur and oh, yeah. and, uh, yep. um, and I think, you know, Shark Tank's great, but it, it does really gloss over and probably doesn't do um, justice to how hard it is to actually raise money, run a company, run a venture capital yep. fund. Um, so uh, I think we'll see a little bit of a correction, uh, but I do think, you know, entrepreneurship is part of the part of the culture of, of the US and I think it's it's here to stay. Um, I just think there'll be a little bit less um, uh, glorification of, of entrepreneurship coming through this. So before jumping into the Shark Tank discussion and uh, similar uh, shows, which I don't really like, <laughs> I wanted to discuss the beach, beach events, beach competitions and all those live events that used to be live and now are online. Uh, what's going on right now? So I usually, before the virus hit, I was going to about two events per week where I saw tons and tons of great companies pitching and I found many, many great leads there, etc. So what's going on right now with this sort of events and who should attend them? Does it even make sense to attend them if you're not getting this personal touch? Definitely an adjustment. I think, you know, the appeal for a lot of... Um, a lot of the events was the opportunity to just bump into somebody interesting, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, you know, and I, I, I typically look at events in, in two buckets. One is sort of the well-known, well-established. I know who's going to be there. I know the quality of companies and other investors and people I want to, and, and vendors um, are, are going to be, you know, high and I can do some legwork in advance to sort of structure my time there outside of kind of the, the pitch room itself. Um, mm -hmm. so a bit more on the, on the proactive side and, and maybe there's some, you know, chance encounters that, that are productive. And then there's the other bucket of like, oh man, it's, it's Tuesday night. I don't know much going on uh, <laughs> into one of those, you know, 75 <laughs> events going on in New York city tonight and see what happens. Um, so I think for, you know, kind of the, the tried true established, uh, events, I'm still going to them. You know, I, I did a couple of events recently with plug and play. And um, the work that they do with um, uh, Harvard and MIT, and then uh, NYU and Columbia, I just like them. You know, I know the group. We've co-invested with Plug and Play before, uh, sort of know what to expect out of the companies and, and the investors. Um, so I did those in, in its normal form. Um, you know, it's definitely harder uh, online. Uh, I think as a, as an investor, I feel very uh, I feel very strongly that whenever I'm uh, sitting in front of an entrepreneur, that they they deserve my full attention um, mm -hmm. and you know one-on-one -on -one in a room or or even sitting in a pitch uh, competition it's it's easier to do than when i'm worried about you know the laundry machine or the dishwasher or, <laughs> or something else going on right um, so it, it does take a little bit more focus just like tune out and, and pay total attention um, so that kind of sucks i feel i feel um I feel sorry for the companies that are kind of going through this right now, going through the, you know, the tech bumps in the road of uh, adjusting to presenting on Zoom or whatever else. But all in all, I think it's, it's moved pretty quickly. Right. Um, 
in the other bucket of kind of you know just popping into something on a random tuesday night in new york because i'm 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 bored or or looks a little <laughs> bit interesting you know my philosophy to those was always sort of like could be hit or hit or miss um i actually think for you know some events uh kind of you know tier two tier three and depending on who's running them it's almost a a negative bias towards being one of the companies that pitches there um just because it, it you know um in a weird way and probably irrational way sends a message that maybe you're struggling fundraising or or you know going through the you know networking process of getting to know investors more more personally mm-hmm. uh, but i still like to go and and my rule around them got to be if i went and i had two meaningful conversations with whoever um then i would leave um <laughs> You know, if it took me 10 minutes or, or two hours, that was sort of my, my benchmark um, because, you know, there are just so many events and you can't, you oh, can't yeah. do them all. So I do miss kind of those random encounters, the, the, those, those random events that, you know, honestly have, um, have netted a lot of really good opportunities for us also. I feel you. I really feel you. So here, let's go back to the topic that I really wanted to cover in this one, Shark Tank. I personally have... I'm certainly biased towards hating Shark Tank. I've seen a couple episodes, and I actually had a speaker uh, who invented a peanut butter pump, and he raised, I think, $144,000 on Indiegogo. Then he went to Shark Tank, and then he was trying to raise, I think, 100K at or 50K. I don't remember the exact valuation, but basically the valuation of the company was like, a million i mean a standard valuation uh, and i think in that case it was even undervalued and then the shark tank judges were like well your company you're trying to raise two hundred thousand dollars here but your company isn't even worth two hundred thousand dollars i'm like wait so he just raised hundred forty thousand dollars basically made hundred forty thousand dollars worth of pre-sales to the crowd and you're saying that his company is not worth 200k what are you talking about so I think that charting really oversimplifies things and uh, sometimes uh, really makes founders look stupid when they're not. Uh, so what do you think about how realistic is that show? How much sense does it make for founders to look at Shark Tank as some uh, educational resource? All right. So you're, so you're a full-on hater of Shark Tank. I oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I get it. Um, so... I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll end with my, with my hate. I'll, I'll, I'll start with <laughs> okay. that side of things just to counter your, uh, your grumpiness towards it. Sure. But, um, <laughs> so look, here's the good things. I, I think, um, it has shined a light in some ways on, um, you know, what is super glorified of, of the American dream. Like you can go out there, you can roll up your sleeves, you can build a business, you can, mm-hmm you know, raise money from a billionaire, whatever it is, whatever, whatever is kind of your, your fancy. It's, it's, it's done that, but it's also put, given more people a baseline understanding of, um, you know, what it's like to um, invest in a company. So basic fundamentals of, you know, here's how much money I'm raising, here's how much of the company I'm willing to sell. I think it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's brought a little bit more awareness and, you know, I find it uh, interesting when I talk to my my aunt or you know somebody completely outside of the tech world or VC world, and 
they ask what I do and I say venture capital and they say, what the hell is that? I can say, <laughs> you know, have you seen Shark Tank? And they oh, say, oh, sure. You know, I love, I love Kevin or I love Mark or whatever. whatever. <laughs> and uh, it gives like a good uh, starting point, even though, you know, <laughs> coming to my, my hate part of it, it's really nothing like what, what we do. Right. <laughs> uh, exactly. But it's, it's a nice, it's a nice starting point. And I do think that, that they have raised the awareness of entrepreneurship and investing um, in in the U.S. And, and globally, on the downside, it's nothing like what we do, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, maybe from hearing a pitch, there are there are similarities, but um, you know, I think the the pitches that we see on TV are are you know pretty heavily edited, um, and you know the the conversation, the dialogue um, tends to be probably pretty heavily edited, and what they don't show that bothers me the most is like. Um, or what I think has come out of this or, or the way some entrepreneurs have been programmed by watching Shark Tank is that they think they can walk into, you know, a, an angel investor's office or a VC's office, give the 15 minute, you know, super polished pitch <laughs> and walk away with a yes or no. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I can tell you, you know, firsthand when, when we invest in a company, it's usually weeks or, or months of, of getting to know the founders and, and the space better and, you know, doing the due diligence and figuring out who else might co-invest with us and figuring out who the initial customers might be. And you know, it's a lot of work and, and, you know, it's a lot of work on, on our side, but it's also a ton of work for the founders who are probably going through this with, you know, maybe two or three different funds, um, have probably met with a hundred or, or more investors to even get to that point. It just does a bit of a disservice to you know how hard it, it, it actually is and mm -hmm. then you know even after that i think what you don't see in in shark tank is uh, I, I forget the number but somewhere around 40 percent of the deals that you see consummated on on the show never actually come to fruition because they go into their <laughs> due diligence <laughs> um so a lot of those deals never never really happen even though you might see uh uh you know hugs and kisses on, on the TV screen. So I think that's where my, my hate part of Shark Tank comes in, but I'm not going to lie. I still watch it until the pleasure <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will definitely not watch Shark Tank because there's just something that pisses me off too much and I'm wasting too much nerves on my daily job, you know? So that's, that's good enough for me. But I think you just <laughs> changed my mind with one phrase, startup investing awareness. I think that that's, what they do is that they tell people that, hey, everyone can invest. And once it's easier now to actually reach out to an angel investor or to someone who potentially can be an angel investor. And he's like, oh, or she, sorry, uh, she or he is like, oh, I've seen it on Shark Tank. I can be one of the sharks. So it's it's actually increasing the amount of funding available for startups. So thanks, Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah I think that's, you know, it's, it's important. I think... Um... You know, look, who, who knows what's going to happen with the economy right now, but, um, you know, I think there's a, a large portion of our population that, um, you know, is kind of been boxed out of the last, you know, big economic boom in the U.S. Uh, of, of real estate. Mm -hmm. um, and probably the next big opportunity is in, in these, you know, alternative asset classes yeah. and, and equity. And, um, you know, there's a lot of of uh, lobbying and, and legislation going on to, to make it um, easier to invest. And I mean, you're familiar with the crowdfunding platforms and so forth. Definitely. So of I, I'll be honest, I have, 
I know I'm supposed to have really strong feelings about everything because I work in BC, but I have I have mixed feelings. I do think you know people <laughs> really need to be informed and, and aware of how how different and, and how hard um, in, investing in, in early stage companies um, really is. Um, but I also think it, it needs to there needs to be more access to these opportunities for for more people. Um, so I'm not sure how it's going to shake out. I do feel like there's going to be uh, ultimately a, a better way of um, democratizing who can in, invest in, in mm-hmm. private markets um, right. beyond just the you know existing accredited investor uh, test. Um, but I'm not quite sure what that looks like yet. I mean, the, the new regulation, the CF regulation that allows unaccredited investors to invest 2K, it's a great one. I'm not quite sure if it makes sense for them to increase this cap to, I don't know, $10,000 because it might lead to horrible stories of Ponzi schemes because people are just not qualified to to make the proper due diligence. But we're not going to go into this topic because I can debate on that for years. <laughs> oh, wait, not years, yeah. of course, but for hours. Gonna, for hours. <laughs> we're not going to solve today for <laughs> Right. So let's let's go back to participation on shows like Shark Tank. There are many uh, similar shows which are not as popular, of course. Even you were as a, uh, you serve as a judge on the show called The Breakthrough the Crowd, which mm-hmm. I think I liked more than Shark Tank, to be quite honest. Maybe I'm biased because you were there, but that's a completely different story. So how, how do you think it really makes a lot of sense for a startup founder to try actually to put effort into getting into those shows, to go to those castings, to go through this process of due diligence made by the show, just to get this extra media attention. There is no question that the media exposure that you uh, can can attain through being on these shows is is substantial. I mean, you know, being on Shark Tank is the gold standard. Um, and you know, I'm guilty of this. Whenever I, I see a company come on that's you know a little bit interesting or quirky, like uh, first thing I do is hop on their website and, and see what they're all about. And <laughs> I probably go to Facebook and see if they they raise money, and you know, it leads down a weird rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, there is substantial company on I believe they used to take um, you know some additional uh, equity. Um, just for for being on the show, given the the marketing lift that uh-huh. uh, each each you would get, I believe they've wiped that out now, um, which is probably a, a a good move by them. Um, but regardless, I I, I get it. Um, you know, even on on Break Through the Crowd, which was really geared towards the Indian and Indian American um, audience, um, you know, those founders got pretty good exposure, um, and. Um, you know, they, they all received uh, some advertising on, on the company, uh, yeah, on the, uh, uh, on the networks, um, just, you know, general programming and, and online. Um, and, you know, generally it paid off for them. That said, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. There's a very low uh, likelihood of, of success of actually getting on. Um, so, you know, you've got to be prepared for uh, kind of a grind to get to that point. Right. So before we move on to my last wrap up question, I want to ask you this. Uh, fundraising radio is, of course, I'm trying to make it a little bit interesting. You know, I'm trying to correct some jokes, which are usually horrible, but that's that's a different story. And mostly it's educational, of course. And some people are just sometimes after work, you just don't want to do anything educational, but you still want to get some value of the semi entertainment that you're doing. And what would you recommend for them to watch except for Shark Tank? Maybe there are some 
other shows like Shark Tank, but maybe more valuable or less known? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you have the, the Canadian version was was Dragons Den, which I I thought was was pretty cool. Um, is you know, it's it's very Canadian. Um, you know, harder harder to get here, but I think it might be available on online now. Um, but I thought it was just a little bit more a little bit more grounded in in reality, um, and sort of shine the light on the Canadian market too, which is really strong in in a lot of ways. Um, I like some of the, just the, the, the fundamental shows. Uh, I mean, I used to be a big fan of like Susie Orman who, uh, you know, just did, you know, basic financial management skills and she would take calls from people and advise them how to, you know, manage their, their debts or, or oh, whatever nice. else. Um, so I think some of the, just the hands-on practical things that are, that are grounded in reality and in real life situations are, are really cool. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I like those. You know, uh, I, I still find myself watching Kramer on on CNBC. Um, you know, useful, but like, you know, he's so over the top, and you know, the, the capital markets today are so screwy. I, I just I, I can barely <laughs> understand what's going on. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't doesn't add up to me. But um, I, I'm probably a little bit more cynical on what what makes markets move. Um, so yeah, I think just some of those shows like. Uh, like Susie Orman that, that give you good practical advice and I think are just more relatable for, for more, more people, you know, startups, VC investing, angel investing, like as um, broad as it's become is still not based in reality of most people in this world. And, mm -hmm. you know, this current crisis we're facing will probably further exacerbate that. And, you know, uh, more more tangible hand experience for how somebody lives paycheck to paycheck or pays off their student loans is going to become, I think, much more um, in vogue and, and relatable again. Right. So let's go to my last two questions. First one would be back to differential ventures and your way of investing. What are the three must-have points on the pitch deck for you? On the pitch deck itself? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I always like to advise founders that you probably have 30 to 45 seconds of, of you know, attention span, realistically, of, of um, you know, a partner or an associate reading your deck. Um, so I usually like to get to the point in the first five slides. Um, and in my opinion, that's really, you know, what are you doing? Um, why is it important? And you know, why are you uniquely positioned to tackle this problem? And then supporting evidence under under each of those. Um, the supporting evidence should be brief. You know, I, I would never recommend that somebody spend, um, you know, two or three slides uh, outlining um, the market sizing or anything yeah. like that. Um, you know, odds are, you know, we, we VCs in, in particular, we get paid to sit around and, and think and, um, you know, pr prepare for what we think the world's going to look like in five or 10 years down the road. So we're usually, you know, pretty well versed on what we think is a viable opportunity or not. So I wouldn't mm -hmm. waste too much real estate on, you know, Tam and, and, and Sam and so forth. Um, but really focus on, on, you know, what it is you're doing and, and you know, a tagline um, and then a little bit more detail and then why you're particularly suited for it and you know pre uh short of, of having like really 
clear uh, past experience or technical expertise uh, or something along those lines that's that's heavily defensible. Um, you know, the next best way to prove out that um, you know this is important and you're you're solving it is is through traction. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't always buy into um, early stage revenue traction being a um, reliable indicator of, of future savings. Um, so we don't have a requirement that somebody have revenue traction. Um, but usually we like to see some market validation of pilots or um, or customers. Uh, right. With the hunter's background. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's decent advice. So let's go to the last question, then we'll wrap it up. This is my standard question that I try to ask every speaker of mine. What would be your advice for someone who is just beginning his or her journey in startup building? What should he or she, what three steps should he or she take to get to the first check from the investor? Um, first, the first three steps to get a check from, from their investor? Yep. Um, first and foremost is, is figure out your own situation. Um, so set, set your, you know, what's your floor? Um, you know, how, how, how far are you willing to go to make this a reality? Um, because I think mm -hmm. it's important to have, you know, boundaries um, and understand, you know, what your breaking point is where you say, shit, I, I, this isn't working. I need, <laughs> I need to go get a job, right? Uh, I think that's really important. I think it's overlooked. And, you know, I think the, the further you're willing to, to go, um, the, the more, um, the stronger you feel about uh, your opportunity and, and your ability to succeed. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a prime example. When, when I started differential, you know, I, I kind of the approach of, um, uh, you know, what's the absolute worst that that could happen here. <laughs> um, if you ever read the book, subtle art of not giving a fuck is sort of what what the premise of that book is all about. And I, I applied that framework to it. And I said, I'm, you know, in my mid 30s, I'm not married, I don't have kids. Um, you know, I'm willing to wake up on my mom's couch one day, <laughs> uh, knowing I put everything I had into this, and you know, fortunately, have have a lot of other things working for me that I, you know, would have to, but would probably be able to go out and get a job at that point. Fortunately, it did not come to that. No offense to my mom. <laughs> Great, but not my mom. <laughs> so like your baseline, you know, where you need to be. Number two is um, get to know investors er uh, early. Uh, early and often, I think a lot of founders are trying to be too perfect and too refined and like at the exact right moment um, to, to come fundraise. And, and I think that's, um, I understand that, that inclination. I also would really dissuade you from doing that. I think if you're doing something compelling enough that really is, you know, cutting edge and interesting for seed or angel investors um, that will understand what you're, what you're working on, get to know them early. Um, you know, one of my, I can't mention them by by name uh, just yet. They just raised a big round of funding, but you know, one of my early companies that would have been an, uh, a differential investment if we were uh, really set up as a fund um, a little bit earlier. You know, they had a good company. It just you know they weren't super technical, but had you know some early traction from customers in a space that seemed important and were were heading in the right direction. And um, you know, he fell. Into, the founders fell into the category of like you know, not hugely differentiated, um, but really good salespeople, really good entrepreneurs. 
So traction was going to be their, their proof, their way to fundraising. And every single time uh, they closed a deal, he would send me uh, a chart, uh, you know, growing up and to the right with the logos of all the new customers that they, they closed, <laughs> what, their, what their ARR was at. And I got one of these constantly uh, from, from the founder. And uh, it was amazing. He was like one of the best uh, fundraising approaches I've, I've ever seen. And, you know, he went on, raised uh, a series recently from some really great founders so uh we were joking and laughing thinking back on those early days uh, so i just like get to know get to know investors as early as possible and build that kind of rapport with them over time because you know we it does take time to get comfortable sure. um yeah so i think those are sort of the the, the top two things um that, that i advise most most founders to focus on when they when they go out to but I was asking you about three things. Can you name one more? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the last thing that um, we usually look for or, you know, what any founder just needs to have their arms around is, like, getting to know investors um, that will really get their space. Um, I... I mean, I, I have to be honest, like I, I come from a sales and marketing background, so and I was probably pretty obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it um, the idea of showing up to a sales meeting, not being prepared to um, talk about the customer and understand the business that they're in. And, and um, you know, I, we would go as far as reading their financials, understand kind of the, the situation they're in financially. Um, and read, you know, news about them from, from the internet, whatever else, social media. Um, the idea of going into a customer and, and just saying, what, what do you do? Um, and, and, and what are you working on when trying to sell a product is, is very uncomfortable to me. Not something I ever would have done. And, you know, I think would probably not cut it in the sales world today. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always a little surprised and caught off guard when a founder comes to a call, um, and, you know, kind of ask the generic question of what we, what we do um, is, you know, it's, it's always pretty straightforward of, you know, we're a venture capital fund and, you know, it's, <laughs> exactly. and it, it, it's, it's all on our website, like our files are on the website. It's a very clear, it's a whole page on how we invest and what we like to invest in. Oh man. Um, it's just like, you know, one-on-one stuff. And, you know, I think some people are, are less bothered by it. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's just, it's a pet peeve. Like if you're, if you're, if you're the CEO of your fundraising, um, you know, I get it. Like it's a partnership. We, we need to be invested in, in the company also, but you know, in the beginning, we all know why we're there. Like just come in tell us what you're up to and let's, uh, right. you know, let's warm out whether it's a fit or not after that. Um, so I think that's just a pet peeve. Like be prepared, approach the right, you know, investors that, you know, will understand your space and then, um, you know, come, come to your meetings prepared. That's great advice. And I told her, just do your homework. Damn it. Don't come unprepared. No one likes that. So yeah, they, and just, oh. just to add on that, just not to be like too much of a, a grump. It, it seems like everybody read the same blog. Like get to know your your investor and ask them, you know, um, where they are in their fund life cycle and things like that. Those are all really good questions. So I usually just kind of spin it around when I get asked that of um, you know what do you guys invest in. I usually say you know is there anything in particular you're looking for? It's all it's all pretty straightforward. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, specific questions. Um, you know, let's let's address those first. 
And I, I must say, like, when I say that, I usually get like very specific uh, questions about our fund and, and how we work with teams, things like that. Uh, so it's like they are prepared, um, but don't really come uh, armed for those like two specific things they want to know about us to kind of kick off the conversation. Got it. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up here. Nick, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming up, for sharing your experience, for telling how differential ventures invest and for sharing your experience with Shark Tank and Break Through the Crowd. I think it was a great one. Really should be helpful for basically any startup founder. And thanks for participating on Fundraising Radio. Thanks, Justine. Thanks for having me.